One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. We're hearing that AIB services very slow this morning. Uh, the website misbehaving not too sure if on the spot sales like tap and go are affected but AIB services appear quite slow this morning haven't yet heard of ATMs not working just so that you're wary AIB seems to be very very slow this morning also I think I know in fact I'm almost certain I know what's making them nervous about COVID-19 restrictions and it's it's not about the daily caseloads it's not about the virus doing this and doing that. I think I've spotted it, and I'll tell you in a while what it is. One thing that I will say uh, is when you learn to analyse the data, which we have done over the last few months, there's something jumping out of the data this morning that answers the question, why are they getting nervous? This is what Michal Martin has been saying about the present situation. Remember, everything is supposed to open up bar the last few restrictions about wearing masks in the shop and wearing masks on the bus, etc., etc. They're supposed to open up on the 22nd of October. They're making noises now uh, in high places that that might not be possible. Uh, They're saying they still want to do it, but there might be a problem. Here's what Michal Martin's been saying. Presentations were made uh, to officials and I received a briefing on that later this afternoon in respect of the growth in the seven-day incidents um, and in terms of the pattern of the disease and affecting all age groups now at this stage. Um, So that is a matter of concern. That's what I'm saying right now. Um, And therefore, we have to feed that into whatever decisions we make early next week. Over the course of the last seven days, the rate of infection, the number of hospital admissions and the rate of ICU admissions have all increased. The pandemic has not gone away. And it requires all of us to continue to be careful. As I say, I, I've been looking at the data and I think I've spotted what the problem is. But let's look at the biology or the immunology or the epidemiology of all of this with Professor Kingston Mills from Trinity College. Kingston, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good to speak with you again. Why are we worried now? Why are our public health officials worried now? I mean, pretty much everyone who wants to get a vaccine has had one. 
Um, well, not quite. I mean, there are still over 300,000 people that are eligible for vaccination who haven't had any vaccine. Another 70,000 have had only one dose. So there's a little bit to go in terms of getting the whole population over 12 vaccinated. Um, I know we're never going to reach the, the you know, the 100% figure, but we need to get it a little bit higher if we're going to sustain the benefits of the vaccines for the whole country. Um, I think if we look at what's happening in the in the case numbers in the hospitals, and we don't have all the data, but some of the data is coming out, and it's clear that people who are unvaccinated are more likely to end up in hospital, and and, and, and more importantly, more likely to end up in ICU. 70% of the people in ICU have not been vaccinated at all with any vaccine. So that's really telling us that the vaccines are really preventing severe disease and deaths. So mm. that is, you know, un, unequivocal yeah. that the vaccines are preventing um, severe disease and deaths. Yeah. We do have a high vaccination rate by EU standards, though, yet other countries don't seem to be having this surge yeah. in case numbers. Why the, do you think that is? It's, it is very difficult to explain this. And I've been you know, you know, trying to come up with explanations as to why Ireland is so bad. Ireland has the population which is you know, roughly a tenth that of France. And France is around the same number of cases. So we have 10 times higher number of cases than France based on population. So based on number of cases per 100,000. So it's, and, and that's not just France. It's most other European countries with one exception. And this may be the clue is the UK and Northern Ireland. So the UK and Northern Ireland have even worse case numbers per 100,000 than mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. So some of the problems that we're having may be a legacy for our close association geographically with the United Kingdom where we're getting a spillover of cases from there. Now that's, that was, the evidence for that was there when, you know, the border counties were the highest numbers of cases. But now we're seeing that counties like Kerry and, and, and Waterford and Wexford mm-hmm. are, are having very high case numbers. So that argument goes out the window. Yeah. Ker- in, Kerry in was practically at elimination now six months ago. Like. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the crazy thing. I was in Kerry on a, on a staycation and uh, felt very safe there because there were virtually no cases. Um, but now it's sort of rebounded. And it seems like, um, you know, we're getting these cycles, you know, in, in areas. It's very hard to fathom it. Um, I think the other point to make is that we're getting um, breakthrough infections in vaccinated, fully vaccinated people. Mm-hmm. And... Um, a lot of the people are presenting in hospitals. There's a broad range of people that are in hospital, but but a lot of them are, are, are older people mm. where immunity may have waned. They have underlying medical conditions, which means they didn't respond as well to the vaccine. So these are people who have been vaccinated. And and in the statistics that came out in the last couple of days showed that 60% of people in, in hospital have been vaccinated. So even though the people in the ICU, it's low, the people actually ending up in hospital, there's a significant number of vaccinated. So that's telling us that the vaccines are, are working in terms of preventing severe disease, but not sufficiently to stop hospitalisation in some individuals. And what it points to is a need for booster vaccinations in a broader cohort Mm. of the population. A figure that I haven't been able to find, maybe you have, in the daily case numbers, like the 2000 and something that was announced yesterday, is there a breakdown of who's vaccinated and who isn't in that no. And that's very disappointing that the HSC are not giving us that information because it would be really useful information for everyone, the public and people like myself to know so as we can get our head around what's going on. I mean, it would be really nice to know the breakdown in terms of the age groups, which sometimes they give. You can get the age group breakdown for the for the, the last two weeks on the National Disease Surveillance Centre website, all right, but you don't get it on a daily basis. And also they don't give the breakdown on what, what vaccines um, have been given to the people that uh, have had the breakthrough infections. And my theory is that 
that there is significantly more breakthrough infections in people who've got the adenovirus vector vaccine than the mRNA vaccine. This would be the AstraZeneca, yeah. Yeah, AstraZeneca and the Johnson Johnson. The Johnson Johnson and the studies now in the US have shown that there is waning immunity after the single dose of the Johnson Johnson. And a paper just published yesterday from the States showed that a booster with an mRNA vaccine, that's a Moderna or a, a Pfizer, after a primary dose with the Johnson Johnson boosts the response by se- up to 76-fold mm-hmm. um, in those individuals. So it really points to the huge benefit of a booster in anyone that got a Johnson Johnson vaccine. Mm-hmm. So I think you know the authorities here have already approved over 80s the people in the nursing homes are over 65 and, and other high-risk individuals in the general population but i think mm-hmm. they now need to look at boosting everybody that got a johnson and johnson and an astrazeneca vaccine because my 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 speculation or you know theory is that that a significant number of the vaccine breakthroughs not exclusively because i know that some people that got the pfizer and moderna vaccines mm-hmm. there are breakthroughs but I, I, I would suspect that more in the cohort that got the the Let me come back to something you said a minute or two ago, Professor Mills, and I'm loath to put words in your mouth. I also know you won't let me. So so let's let's break this down. I think what I'm hearing from you, Professor Kingston Mills, is that you would like the HSE to begin giving us detail of positive cases relative to vaccinated status and what what vaccines they got. No, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I've said that before, that we need to have that information. We need to have the age group. We need to have the full information on the people that are ending up in hospital. That, you know, that's important information for the public. I mean, if the, if the public hear that it is people that that in a particular age group or a particular cohort of, of vaccines, then they know to be more careful. So it's, you know, you know, you have your vaccine certificate, which allows you to do activities which you otherwise wouldn't do. But if you were in a cohort where the risks was high, were higher of actually contracting COVID-19 and ending up in hospital, you might change your attitude towards um, doing those activities which you thought might have been safer. Mm. So I think it's important that the public knows the information. I was in Aldi the other night picking up a few bits and pieces and I noticed uh, antigen testing by the box of five. Now, we're not yet using antigen testing on on an ongoing basis. Should we start using it on an ongoing basis? I mean, it certainly is the case now. I mean, the argument that the HSC put up against using antigen testing is they're not useful in, low, in a low prevalence setting. But I don't, I don't think we're, we're in a low prevalence setting right now. I mean, we're one of the highest case numbers in Europe, if not the world in Ireland right now. So I think there's a very strong argument to be made for the use of antigen testing for, for admission to, you know, university lectures, um, um, work, all work at a place activity. Some companies have taken it upon themselves to do this. They didn't need to be told or asked by the HSC to implement it. They've decided to keep their workforce safe by testing their workers twice a week with antigen testing. And it does pick up people who are in the infectious stage. And that's the important thing. It's not picking up the mild uh, levels of virus that are in the sort of later stages of the, of the infection. It's people that are in the high peak of infection when they're more likely to transmit the virus. Um, the majority of these will be picked up on these tests. Mm. And then they can go and get a PCR test to confirm confirm the diagnosis and then isolate. Yeah. Um, the, the language is important and the language we're hearing finally from the public health officials and the senior government officials is that there's been an unexpected and sudden change in the behaviour that is causing alarm. Can you translate that? Like, Do you think, for example, would it be wise to hold back on the easing of restrictions on the 22nd of October in your view? 
I think it's very important that, that, you know, education in particular, but all businesses get back to full activity. There's no question about that. That's what everybody wants. So we need to try and facilitate that in whatever way we can, whether it be by um, antigen testing, wearing, continuing to wear masks or using COVID um, vaccine certificates. I mean, there's a talk of the COVID vaccine certificates being phased out for um, the entertainment industry come the 22nd of October. I think that would be a mistake. I don't think it's a huge imposition on people to have to present their COVID with 90% of the population fully vaccinated. It gives, you know, at least 90% of the population the opportunity to to go to, to the pub or restaurant or other um, event, whether it be a sporting event, a rugby match or a football match or whatever, a concert, um, safely when they know that every other person there is vaccinated. Now, as I said, the vaccines are not 100% pre- mm. pre- 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 protected, but at least you know that someone has been vaccinated and has a, at least a 10 lesser chance of getting infected than someone who's not. So so the vaccine certificates, in my view, should be continued for, for use beyond the 22nd of October. Mask wearing, which is not, not a huge imposition to people, and everybody has bought into it now. Mm-hmm. Why stop that um, if it's providing a level of protection? So those are two f- things I think should be should be continued without, you know, infringing on people's rights in any particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that there are people that are you know, didn't like wearing masks, but I think nearly everybody has bought into them and I think we should continue to do it. All right, we'll leave it there for today. Good to speak with you once again on the Opinion Line. Professor Kingston Mills, Professor of Experimental Immunology at Trinity College. Thank you. 1857-15996. As I say, I have spotted my own theory as to why they're getting so nervous. I'll give it to you in a while. But there's a couple of very interesting things that uh, Professor Mills has said on the opinion end this morning. And one of them is that of those 2,000 and something people who were confirmed as new cases yesterday, we should know who was vaccinated and who wasn't, what percentage of them were, and we should know what vaccine they had. It's very easy to give out that information without identifying anybody. We should be listening to that. A sad little story in front of me here on the the, the screen and I just want to mention little Liliana. Now Liliana is one and a half years old and she's been fighting since she was born. She's had heart operations and a lot of sickness. She has Down syndrome so she has a very weak immune system. Currently Liliana is in the Temple Street Hospital fighting for her life. She has covid and she's only a small, precious baby. She doesn't deserve this. And she can fight it, but we're all behind her, her family and friends and loved ones. There are prayers at the grotto on Sun Valley Drive today, and they'll be leaving off balloons, thinking of Liliana. That's up on Springs Road, Spriggs Road rather, by the grotto at uh, 3 o'clock today. And we'll be thinking of baby Liliana. What a fight she's got on her hands. Let's hope. Let's hope it goes her way. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's Gold Emerald Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right there. 
The Score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on another busy weekend of Gaelic Games action. Plus, we bring you reaction to Cove Ramblers' clash with First Division champion Shelburne and Cork City's trip to UCD. Right here, right there, there. Join Trevor Welch for The Score this Sunday from 2pm with Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. On Cork's 96FM. I've not exactly gone and done a Sherlock Holmes on it, but I have found something that tips off to me why they're nervous. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you in a while. It's publicly available. You can find it if you go looking for it. But I found it this morning. I'll tell you what it is in a little while. Also, a few people pointing out, and I remembered this, uh, that Stephen Donnelly told us that the Neffet modelling team had said cases would peak in mid-October. Now, this is what? The 14th? They don't get much mid or midder, if there's such a word, then the 14th or 15th of October. They knew this was coming, so I can't see why they're acting like it's unexpected or concerning, says Philip and Cove. Well, Philip, when I give you the information I have found, it might answer that particular question. Now, Philip believes that they were never intended on, on honouring the 22nd of October. I'm not sure, sure about there. But hi, PJ, the people are anti-vaccine, that are not vaccinated, plus there's a larger number of young people that are not vaccinated, this is why there's been the big surge. Well, again, as Professor Mills was saying, if we had a daily breakdown of things like age, vaccination status, and what what vaccine they've had, because he believes, and that's his professional hat on, he believes it's the and the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson that are failing more than the Pfizer and the Moderna. Call him, if these people are not believing in medical treatment, why are they taking up hospital beds? You're either believing in doctors or you're not, but Cullen, the problem with that is a doctor must treat, a nurse must treat, first do no harm. They, they can't judge on the basis of your vaccination status, even though some people would like them. I'll give you that information uh, in, in a few minutes. But there's a piece in the journal today uh, containing a number of stories, a number of encounters that people have had on public transport, uh, on pleasant encounters. It Follows Alan Farrell is a Dublin-based Fine Gael TD, and he went public last week with a story of something he saw on the dart, something unpleasant that he saw on the dart. A young bunch of young lads um, harassing a woman on the dart. He went public with that, and a lot of other stories have come out since, and there's quite a number of them in the journal this morning. And Alex, you you took to Twitter. When, when did this happen to you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good to speak to you. Um, it happened about five years ago, incidentally, up in Dublin. Um, and now this can happen everywhere. It just happened to be the fact that I was up in Dublin at the time. Um, so I was travelling from Leakslip, where my ex-boyfriend used to live, into the city centre to meet him after work. And it was the summer, so, you know, the legs were out, the high heels were on, we were going to dinner and drinks. Um and I obviously was wearing a dress, but it was above my knees, like, you know, to the middle of my thighs, like you would wear in the summer. And as I was walking down the platform, I noticed this man, like he was staring at my legs. I'm not young. You know, this has been happening since I can remember. And it's something that, you know, that it just, it's just, it's just the way it goes. So I just kept walking, not paying any attention, but he kept staring at me, but I, 
I was far enough away when the train came. So I just thought, oh, thank God I'm on the train now and he won't be staring at me anymore. So after about three or four minutes, he appeared in the carriage and I was sitting in, you know, facing, let's say it was going to Connolly Station. I was facing towards, you know, the direction of Dublin and he sat opposite me. And like I'm a, you know me, I'm I'm a grown, strong, independent, outspoken woman. Um in these situations in my brain, I would tell myself, I would say, you know, stop staring at me. But you do none of those things because we've been conditioned since we were very small to be safe. Mm. You know, and especially because how I grew up, I mean, I grew up, I was a teenager in the eighties, so really like don't make a fuss don't use your voice, nobody likes loud, you know, outspoken women, all that kind of stuff. Um, so he took out his phone and he started filming me. So it was down at my leg level. Yeah. And I was Blatantly, there thinking, like right there in front of you. Blatantly. Absolutely. Like that's what was the most unnerving thing for me about it. He didn't even try to hide the fact that he was clearly like aiming the camera out my legs because it was down at, you know, my leg level, straight onto my legs. So um, I sat there staring out the window and, you know, when something like that's happening to you, you're having this inner dialogue of, go on, say something, you should say something, you know, you're you're strong, like, you know, this is not, you know, you should say something, you should say something. The the Alex I know, and maybe I don't know you, the Alex I know, I would have thought, what the hell are you doing? Sure, absolutely. You know, like I, I've shared with you before. We've spoken quite many times on the show um, that I was orally raped when I was seventeen, and it was it was it was a horrific event. And I've spoken about it publicly, and it took me a very long time to rid myself of the shame. Um, and because we'd been drinking, he told everybody I was asking for it. It, it was horrific. So I think that came flooding back. Right. As I was sitting there, you know, but and then I was having this inner dialogue. I was cross with myself because I was thinking 17 year old me was so powerless. But, you know, 45 year old me has grown so much and is so strong. So I said, okay, I need to keep myself safe. So I'm not going to make a scene in case it gets worse, because that's what we do. But anybody would do that in that situation. You know, like if you felt under threat, you'd be thinking, okay, look, do I raise my voice? Do I make it worse? So I said, I'd move seats. So I got up and I moved and he moved with me three times. He never let up the whole train journey, you know, and was, every was time the train moved, crowded? Obviously not if you could move No, so it wasn't. It was quite, it wasn't. It was about, I would say, kind of seven o'clock in the evening and it was going from Leek Slip to Dublin so it really wasn't had it been the other way around it would have been jammed Mm. Um, and I'm not sure maybe would he have done it or I certainly wouldn't have been able to move Um, he moved with me three times and I you know I got really scared because he was a you know he was a tall overpowering man and then I started panicking before I got to, to the station I was thinking you know what now if he follows me off and all that kind of stuff. Look, I was lucky that he didn't. I got off, I checked, you know, behind me and, you know, he he didn't follow me off. I was very shaken. And then I felt very self-conscious in my outfit, you know, like that happens to us as well, where then I started, I actually started victim blaming myself, which is a terrible thing. My my skirt is too short. I shouldn't have worn this. Like, and I was like, oh my goodness. I was so surprised at myself, at my reaction, because... 
you know, I have a 15 year old niece and I would be telling her it doesn't matter what you wear, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I started victim blaming myself as I walked to, to get my partner. I mean, he was suitably horrified that this happened to me. And, you know, he was fantastic and supportive and everything. But that was it. You know, you, you don't really think I didn't report what happened to me when I was 17 because, well, I was 17 and I was so vulnerable and so ruined from the experience. And because I'd been drinking and he told me it was my fault because I'd been drinking, I, I believed that. I believed it was my fault. I believed it was my fault until I saw Louise O'Neill's yeah. play asking yeah. for it. And I and I mean that most sincerely. And I don't even think Louise realises the book that she wrote and the play that, that was done in The Everyman, how freeing it was for me. And then I was able to tell my story. Yeah. Um, so that's a whole other story. But so then a few weeks later, you know the work that I do. So I would be in contact with quite a lot of guards. And I remember saying to one guard in particular, I was like, come here, this happened to me, you know, a few weeks ago. I'm just wondering, you know, like, like what should I have done about it? And he Honestly, he snickered and he said, Asher, girl, I'd see that as a compliment. You've got a great set of pins. And that was the worst part of it. And I was just sitting there going, oh, wow. Oh, oh wow. Now, don't not all guard men me. And I, I, I know that there are people listening who that there are great guards out there. I've worked with a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but that was that's my you know, those are the two things my lasting memories of it is, you know, he was doing something that was wrong, but I thought I would have reacted in a different way. And I didn't because I was scared and I needed to try and keep myself safe. And then, you know, just, ha- you know, asking a guard and him telling me, well, it was a compliment because I've got great legs. So that's why I tweeted this morning. I read the journal article and I just thought, oh, look, there, there I am again. It's just, you know, it is, it's, it's the way it is for us. You know, and we're in so many ways conditioned to just shut up and put up about it. And people question all the time, you know, why we don't report, why we don't say. It's because I don't think there is a real culture. And that's not just within the guards. I think it's culturally, I don't think we're at a point where it's okay for us or or there's enough training given or there's enough understanding of what it's like for mm. victims, regardless of the severity of what's happened mm. to you, it doesn't feel safe. Do we I yet, Alex, give out the message loudly enough that mm. if something is happening around you to which you object mm. and there is another yeah. adult within earshot, shout and shout loudly. Mm. Call attention to. It. I have a I have a daughter in her mid twenties, mm. and I'd I'd like to think, knowing her as I do, that if someone mm. tried that with her, he'd wake up with a crowd yeah. around him. Do you know sure. what I mean? But I get but at that. the same time, I would have thought the very same thing about you. Yeah, so did I. You know, like obviously, seventeen year old me was very different. Forty five year old me and forty five year old me would would. I'm very vocal, you know, and I and I advocate for people in my job every day. Um, and when it when it when it came to me, I was I just froze. Well, not that I froze. I got up and moved. I tried to, but then I was, you know, I spent the entire train journey gauging my safety. You know, what if what if I kick up a fuss and he retaliates back? What then? Mm. Because that happens, you know. And then what if? And, you, and if you read the journal article today, story after story after story tells a story of people not doing anything, seeing that this particular incident was happening and still turning their heads. 
You know, so let, me, let me put a tweet to you, Alex, mm, that has just come in. Yeah. I'm, a little, I'm a little surprised at this now, seeing... Well, in a way, I'm not. It's come mm. from Mags, who's... Mm-hmm. I look, who, I know. Her, yeah, hubby is, yeah. her hubby is a guard. Sure, right? absolutely. And she says, another day, another guard the bashing exercise. But I know. It's not what it is. Yeah, and, and, and that's why I said, because I'm acutely aware that Mags and I follow each other, you know, and, and I said, I was very clear that this isn't, I work with some brilliant guards, right? Like this isn't everyone, but this was my experience with one particular guard. And it's not guard bashing. It is just because it would be if I came on and said the entire department, I never said that. Mm. I said this particular guard and it was very disconcerting for me, you know, and I think that that needs to be spoken about. And I totally understand where Mags is coming from. But with all due respect, Mags, because I know that you're listening, this isn't this isn't another day, another guard bashing. This is now why, in so many ways, that we're hesitant to come out and say, this is what happened to me, because then the not all men, not all guards, not we we I get that. I get it's not everybody. That's why I said it in the beginning, that this is not everyone but this was my experience with one guard and I'm not going to not talk about it because that was my experience. Well in your experience talking to me or rather in my experience talking to you you were the one Mm. who put me right on the not all men thing a long time ago. I learned from that conversation and I'd like to think others would learn from this. Alex, a pleasure to talk. By the way congratulations congratulations on your qualification. Thank you so, so much. I'm absolutely thrilled. Oh, and I, and I wanted to say as well, because I know you've been doing an awful lot for Mental Health Week, and I'm not sure that people know, um, just for, for listeners, the Cork Local Drug and Alcohol Task Force website, mm. so you can just do, you know, look look on that, has all of the addiction services for Cork and Kerry up there, all of them. Great. So from treatment centres to community workers to everything, it's all up there. It's a huge resource and I kept meaning to text in all week to alert you to it. Okay. If people are looking for, for addiction services, they're all up on the Cork Local Drug and Alcohol Task Force website. All right. Take care of yourself, Alex. We'll talk again. That's Alex Sly. 1850 715 Opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. We all love Irish music and the artists that make it. The last 18 months have been devastating for this industry, and we want to play our part to help. Cork's 96 FM is proud to support Irish Music Month by promoting the amazing work of Irish artists. Across the country, independent radio with Hot Press is spotlighting Irish music and paying Irish artists over €95,000 to play and perform for us. We're committed to promoting Irish music. Are you? Irish Music Month on Cork. Cork's 96FM is supported by the BAI Sound and Vision Fund and XL Retail, offering a great deal more at your local store. Cork's 96FM. mentioned that AIB thing just at the very start of the programme. It seems to be quite slow this morning. AIB's website and things. Also hearing that PTSB, or yeah, PTSB, slow this morning. Wages and social welfare that should have dropped at midnight only went in just after Eight or nine this morning, so things seem to be quite slow in the banking system. 
today if you've anything to tell me then you know where we are 1850 now conflict resolution how good are you at it some people hate conflict some people relish in it but we all have to develop a skill in dealing with it because conflict is part of real life it happens every day it happens all over the place. It happens in simple things like your workplace, your home. Two friends can have an argument. What, and how do you deal with that? Or it can get more serious. What if your relationship is breaking up and you're trying to have a, a peaceful resolution of that for the sake of the children? It's, it's a skill. And, and there's a worry has been expressed recently. And again, it's down to social media. You know on social media, if someone argues too much with you, well, you just block them. You just mute and block them. Hey, listen, I've had arthritis in my blocking finger for some of the lunatics I've had to block on social media. But you can block them. Is there a worry, though, among experts that we're teaching teenagers that, well, you know, or younger people, you can block on Twitter, you can block on Instagram, you can block on Facebook, you can probably block on TikTok, I don't know. But you can't block in real life. So are we going to learn how to deal with conflict if all we do growing up is learn how to block. That's a point where I'll bring in Sharon Morrissey. She's a conflict resolution specialist and she's based here in Cork. Sharon, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. It it is a skill. Uh, It's a skill that we learn as we go through youth and into adulthood. But you can't block in real life, can you? Well, you can try, but I suppose it's not going to be very successful in the majority of cases, um, particularly with, say, if it is in a home situation or if it's in a workplace situation, you can't just block somebody that you're working with. So um, it is something that I think we have to learn how to express what we need and what's causing the conflict for us Mm -hmm. before, you know, you know, as opposed to blocking somebody. Um, and I'm not sure that that's happening as effectively as it should be at the moment. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, I think, Sharon, is the definition of of conflict. You know, oh, someone say, oh, I don't like conflict, I hate conflict. Uh, whereas yeah. then, so, yeah, but define conflict. Is conflict the normal disagreement that happens day to day or is conflict something, do you walk away from confrontation and risk not sorting something out because you, you don't want to deal with it? Well, conflict, I suppose, is a prolonged, you know, and kind of really entrenched disagreement, for want of a better word. We all have arguments like, but I suppose a conflict is when something gets, you know, above that level of a disagreement. You know, it's a long, long term thing that's having a longer impact on how people can communicate what they need and what their wants are. Um, so a conflict is something that goes on for a little bit longer. But, you know, even I was listening to, to Alex there just before you, you know, and she spoke about, you know, having this internal conflict with herself mm. um, in the situation that she was in. I think people do that all of the time. And one of the questions that I ask, you know, my, my parties or the people I'm working with or my students, and I will say to them, so if, for example, you are in conflict with somebody, but the other person doesn't know that you're having a conflict with them. Is that still a conflict? Mm, that's interesting. So, yeah, so the other person may have no idea. So I can walk into work and I can say, you know, I maybe have a million and one things in my mind and I don't say hello to the person in work because there's loads of other stuff going on in my head. The person in work observes that I haven't said hello to them and all of a sudden I'm stuck up, I'm snobby, I'm this, this or this. So they're having a conflict, but I know nothing about it. 
So who's where is the onus on people then to say, hang on a second, you know, you didn't say hello to me this morning when you came into work. And I'm just using a very simple I example. Do. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you didn't say hello to me this morning when I felt really unseen when you didn't, you know, you didn't acknowledge me this morning. So I'm really upset or angry about that. And you know, sorry, people won't do that. <laughs> do you know, Sharon, what my instinct then would be, particularly yeah. if it's someone that I've been working with for a long time, Get yeah. over yourself. It's not all about you. Yes, yes, exactly. But imagine, so imagine somebody says to you, I felt really unseen. And your response being, get over yourself. You know, um, it's not all about you, where that's going to go. So just <laughs> look at that scenario itself. It's not going to de-escalate itself. It's going to, you know, get yeah. bigger. Like they're overreacting, but my shutting it down is is mm-hmm. causing more well, problems. Than and, and okay, they're... Okay, so it's our perception or it's it's maybe your perception that they're overreacting. But if they have been unseen in their home and they have been unseen in other places and now they're unseen in work, that's a big thing for the other person. Yeah, yeah. So it's not an overreaction on their part. It's it's their feelings. And that feeling has to be heard, acknowledged and, you know, it has to be set out so that we can work through what the issues are here. And I guess when things get more serious, that's where things mm-hmm. end up around a table, ideally with an expert like yeah. yourself, because some people try to get end up in court with a simple thing like yeah. a family or a work yeah. dispute. We need to avoid that in our lives, don't we? Well, I, you know, I suppose, look, you know, there's a place for everything, absolutely. In some cases, you will not be able to mediate and they will go to court for sure. But I suppose as a first port of call, like mediation, you know, conflict resolution should should be that. And just, you know, for clarity, like mediation is it's a series of steps and actions that, you know, we take for resolving conflicts. So where a third party, so like somebody like myself or whatever, who is independent of the conflict, so, you know, kind of facilitates and makes it easier for people to talk about the issues that are coming up, you know, for them. And then it's my role to support both parties to hear or however many are there. It could be five, it could be 10, whatever. So to, you know, to facilitate however many people are there to hear what the issues are, because I think this is where the communication piece is falling down. We we listen to respond as opposed to hear what's happening for other people. So we're too busy trying to protect ourselves Mm. that actually open up and be vulnerable to hearing what the other person is saying, okay, and going, yeah, okay, I should have said hello, but, you know, the tire blew out in the car this morning. And if I explain this to you, that that will make more sense to you as to why I didn't say hello. It wasn't, you know, as you said, it wasn't about you. It was it was about stuff that happened yeah. in my life, and I'm going to explain that to you now. Yeah. Now, like, not all conflict is obviously, you know, settled as easy as that no, or whatever. Not, but, you no. know, when, yeah, when, the, yeah. when things do get nasty, that's where a professional mm. mediator comes in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, you know, we train, we do extensive training courses to be a mediator. It's, you know, I mean, there's been mediation for all of time, like, but, you know, we, we go to college, we train, we get high skills in these areas so that we can sit and be independent and neutral of the conflict, you know, and facilitate. So kind of help parties step by step to look at those issues and to see, you know, okay, what can I, what can we both agree on? And it's really a self-determining process. So Mm -hmm. the parties are, they're making their own decisions and their own outcomes. So the likelihood of that agreement staying because they have made the decisions in relation they, to and it. They, and they've is, been party to it. Yeah, yeah. And the exactly. fact that you might realise after the meeting that, 
Well, actually, we agree on more than we disagree. So yes, we exactly. And yeah, and that's that's actually really interesting because a lot of the mediations that I have would never settle on the day. Okay, but three or four days later, you might get a phone call saying, "Listen, okay, I was thinking." And, you know, at that point, you can bring them back into the room again and they, they speak to each other about exactly what you've just said. We actually agree on more things than we disagree on. So can we put something in place where we are, you know, if if I'm not saying hello to you when I walk into the, the office in the morning, instead of you taking that personally, you come to me and you say, listen, is everything all right? And it's just yeah. about improving our communication skills with each other. We've lost a lot of that because we've been on Zoom. Um, so I see with people going back into the workplaces now, there there's a really high level of conflict, um, you know, and I'm getting more and more calls in relation to that, that people, you know, are kind of, we, we've kind of forgotten how to communicate a little bit, um, you know, so it's just about kind of developing that etiquette again about how we do talk to people in person. All right, Sharon, listen, good talking to you. Maybe we'll talk again sometime. That's uh, Sharon Morrissey, Conflict Resolution Specialist uh, based up in North Cork. Maybe my, maybe my response is not the right one. Jesus, how about you? Get over yourself. It's not the right one. 1850-715-996. Thank you, Sharon. Just a reminder of the Premier League. It's back this Saturday on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh, all powered by Talk Sport. This Saturday afternoon with the team, live coverage of Watford against Liverpool at 12.30, Southampton versus Leeds at 3, Brentford against Chelsea at, at uh, half past 5. It's the Premier League live online with Now. Join the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership and listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM or app or go to 96FM.ie. We have had all this talk about a bank holiday uh, for the front line, or to say thanks to the front line and all those people who, who stepped up and who ran in when the rest of us were running out during the pandemic. And it'd probably be a public holiday of which we can all avail. Uh, people are talking about maybe should, should be should it be in February around the time of St. Bridget or, or where should it be? Should it be in September to break up that long period between August and, and the end of October? Should it be at the end of November to coincide with Thanksgiving, which is kind of a bizarre idea. Tim Brosnan, you've been thinking. Good morning. Hi, how are you, PJ? I have indeed. And to be honest, PJ, I'd be inclined to suggest September as well. Uh, and that's not to exclude St. Bridget. We can call it St. Bridget's uh, Harvest Festival or Harvest Bank Holiday. But, mm. you know, I think by lengthening the summer, and as you say, it gives the extra few days two people at a time when the weather is still reasonably good. We can absorb the vitamin D uh, and it, it will it will be a nice break for people yeah, as well. The harvest. It's, it has a nice ring to it too, doesn't it? The harvest yes, holiday uh, weekend. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know, to be a period of, of reflection indeed for, for those who did put in uh, the huge effort and, yeah. you know, I was thinking a lot of those suggestions by the trade union movements in relation to cash sums and that. You know, you can't buy heroism, PJ. And, you know, it happens in situations and circumstances where people go above and beyond and they don't do it to get a couple of hundred quid. But the state should recognise it in some format, in a format that's valuable to the people. Mm. And and oh, a public holiday will like apply to us all, Tim. That, that's well, yeah, we'd all share in that. And, I mean, we would have all undergone the, 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 the pain in some way. 
but there are some people who would have gone kind of above and beyond the call of duty uh, and, and they do deserve recognition and I'm thinking of the people now as you said in the hospital wards who are fighting directly uh, against the disease who are putting their own health at risk who, who had to kind of abandon their families if you like in ways for long periods of time and it would have been conspicuous above and beyond rather than above and beyond the call of duty just you know and yeah. I think there should be, you know, when people go to, when the, when the armed services, for example, go abroad, they'd get a medal in recognition of their service in Cyprus. But if somebody did something special or heroic, mm. they'd be given an additional kind of a distinguished service medal to be recognised by the state. Yeah. And I would think that would be something to, that would be treasured by the people involved and could be treasured by their families for generations. That is, that long is, that, after the couple a... of hundred quid would be spent, but... That's a very it would nice show idea. kind of a level of, you know, we don't have that ability to do that, PJ, you know, and we're slow to do it. And even even having watched and heard all the information about Jadaville, the fact that the Department of Defence only wants to hand out one or two medals. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other story. You know, and I'm, I'm working on something with that at the moment because it's, it's, it's very interesting. And I, I know people who are still know, involved in that battle, involved in that the, and the, the fight for justice. what's important to the family and to the survivors is that there is a recognition by the yeah. state and, you know, a couple of hundred quid would be gone in a day or two and forgotten yeah. about it. But if, they were, if that effort was remembered forever in a, in a harvest holiday, Tim, that's a good idea. I like that. I like the name of that, Tim Brosnan. So there's the idea. Thanks for that, Tim. They have this notion of giving a holiday. Would it be one off or permanent? I think it should be permanent and apply to us all. But how's that? A harvest holiday to say thanks. Maybe do it in mid-September. How would you feel about it? That and plenty more after news. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. All right, I'll tell you, the person who said they were going to go out into the garden and abandon me if I didn't... Bring the radio out with you. What's wrong with that? But anyway, no, I... I I meant to tell you this earlier on, um, and I, so why are they getting so nervous? It's down to the hospitals, and it's down to the numbers in hospital and the numbers in ICU. Now, that seems fairly obvious. Of course it is. But there is a document that's released every day by the HSE. It comes out in the form of a PDF document, and it goes up online, and you can access it. So all of this is accessible information. All right, you can all get it uh, if you go looking for it in the in the public domain. So I'm not breaking any secrets here. So today is the 14th of October, okay, and presently there are 27 people at COH, and five of them are in ICU. Those are based on yesterday's returns. There are 10 in the Mercy. Two of them are in ICU. Back in 2020, October 14th. 2020, because you can trace all the information back. There were 27 people in hospital in Cork. 
20 of them in COH with one in ICU and seven in the Mercy with two in ICU. So our numbers in hospital today are higher and our numbers in ICU today are higher than they were a year ago. This is despite vaccination. Nationally, in October t- today, this, this week, yesterday, there was 407 people in hospital nationally with COVID, of whom 69 were in ICU. That's 17% of hospital cases now in ICU. In October 2020, there were 232 people on the 14th of October, 232 people in hospital nationally. 29 of them were in ICU. 12.5% of the hospital cases were in ICU. So the cases are up and the percentage of people ending up in ICU are up on this time last year. What we're not getting, and as Kingston Mills made the point earlier on, if we knew what proportion of hospitalised people were vaccinated and unvaccinated, and what what number of diagnosed people, tested people, were vaccinated and unvaccinated, it would help. But those numbers show there are more people in hospital and more people in ICU than there were this time last year, even with all the vaccines. Let's look at the availability of ICU beds nationally. This is the bit that I've spotted. So yesterday, nationally, there were 16 available ICU beds with all the various reasons why people would be in ICU, COVID being just one of them. There were 16 available beds nationally, two in the ICU, and if I'm reading the report correctly, none in the Mercy. Last October, there were 36 available ICU beds nationally on the same date. None in Cork, but 36 beds nationally. So again, there's a third statistic worse than last year. The number of beds available in ICU nationally was more last year. Here's the best bit. And you remember yesterday, or the, or the worst, if you like, do you remember yesterday I tackled Michael McGrath, we're talking about the budget, on the 19 extra ICU beds in the budget and how small that was compared to all the promises and the fact that we only have now, even with that added, we'll only have 59% of the EU average of hospital beds, hospital ICU beds for population. In October 2020, there was 279 beds, ICU and clinical critical care beds, open and staffed nationally in the public health system. 279. How many were there yesterday, open and staffed? Was it 379? Was it 329? Was it 359? No, it was 289. So they've only tacked on 10 fully open and staffed beds in a year. And that's why I think they're getting nervous. I could be wrong. But those are the numbers, and the numbers tend to tell the truth. Another set of numbers. Nearly 20 million euro. That's the combined amount that an 11-year-old boy with cerebral palsy has been given after he sued through his mum over the circumstances of his birth at CUH. It was settled, finally settled. It's been a very long and arduous number of years 
for the family. I'm talking about the family of Alex Foley from Middleton. Uh, He has a thing called spastic diplegic cerebral palsy. And he's been awarded a total of 19.8 million euro in compensation. A suit through his parents, Patrick and Lorraine. At one point, he needed 24-hour care. He's a bit healthier these days, but he will have lifelong needs. And after the whole thing was over, I spoke with his mum, Lorraine Foley. Lorraine, I'll start by asking you how you all feel now that it's over and done with. Uh, I suppose relief would be the main thing, PJ. Um, And, you know, just for myself and my husband, knowing that no matter whatever happens, you know, when myself and Patrick aren't around, that Alex will always be cared for. Mm -hmm. You know? People will read the headline and think that's a colossal amount of money. It's a big settlement, but he has major needs. He does. So, um, like, I suppose putting it this way to you, Alex is going nearly six days a week doing different therapies from speech and language therapy, physio, he does occupational therapy, he does horse riding, he goes to the local gym one day a week to do strength and conditioning, he sees an educational psychologist, he goes to the Rebel Wheeler Sports Group, like, you know, it's the list is endless, what he does every week to keep him as physically good as what he is. What are his needs, Lorraine, as a result of what happened when he was born? Okay, so obviously there's the physical side of things with Alex. So currently now, um, Alex can walk up to nearly just just under 2K he can walk. But after that, he's done. He needs the wheelchair then after that. Um, because he's got epilepsy as well, PJ, he suffers with severe tiredness. Mm. Um, so And then cognitively, Alex is affected as well. Um, he's half a twin. Uh, Jacob is his twin brother. Um, and they're like, they're miles apart. Do you know what I mean? Um, Alex is also an extremely vulnerable child in that. Um, so, for example, if you told Alex there now today that you were taking him to the moon, he'd be at home all day waiting for you to come, you know? Mm. So he's he's very vulnerable on that side of things. Cognitively, he's very vulnerable, yeah? Yes, yeah. 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 What did happen when he was born, Lorraine, in simple terms for a layperson to understand? Um, I suppose in simple terms, what happened was when my waters were broken, a blood vessel was burst. um, So Alex lost all his blood and it took nearly nine minutes for them to revive him. So he had, you know, severe oxygen loss. Right, right. You did get an interim settlement back in 2016 that allowed him to have the surgery that now allows him to walk? No, what happened was we actually fundraised for the surgery in 2015 um, because we had no idea when um, Alex's case was going to come to court. So we fundraised in 2015 and thankfully we got amazing response. Um, The reason why we fundraised at that time, PJ, was because it was the optimal time for Alex to have the surgery and because we didn't know how long his court case would take um, we pushed along and we, we got him the surgery um, so since um, his case settled in 2016 he has been back to America for another surgery, he had his hamstrings lengthened mm. and he's actually going back in May for another two surgeries mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and all of that is aimed at what? 
So Alex has spastic diplegia cerebral palsy. So it's mainly kind of from the waist down that he's affected. Right. And like, as many people will know, cerebral palsy, it, it just causes extreme tightness yes. in the leg and it can cause contractors and contractures and things like that. Mm. So um, the spasticity has now been taken away. So the tightness is gone from Alex's legs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I suppose like as cerebral palsy affects children as they grow, growth spurts are a major um, downfall for Alex in mm. that they would affect him really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why he's going back now for more. He suffers from flat foot, so that's why we're going back for another surgery. Does he have pain? No, he doesn't. Um, no, he's he's very good that way, thanks be to God. It's been a long and a very hard road. Explain what happened then. Back in 2016, there was one interim settlement made, and I, I know I pr- appreciate you may be precluded legally from giving me every, all the detail, but what you can tell me, what happened in 2016 and then why did it take until 2021 to, to finally sign everything off? So it, it really just all depends on the individual child's case, really. Um, so it was our first time in court in 2016. So um, the obvious thing was just to take an interim to see what was going to happen with Alex as he grew and things like that. Um, and then because we were back this time, we we took advice from our senior counsel, um, Liam Reedy. Um, and, you know, they were of the opinion that because Alex was the way he was, that it was it was probably a good time, you know, to take a lump sum settlement. Um, and from our point of view, that was that was definitely the thing to do, because every time you go back, you have new doctors reports, all these people to see, you know, and it's it's having an effect on Alex, you know. So it's and it, it, it's not only Alex, it's all the family, you mm. know, so. It, it, it's just a relief now to, to have it over and done with and not have to go back and battle anymore, you know. The HSE fought you on it, didn't they? They did. They did, unfortunately, yes. Um, they haven't admitted liability in the case and they haven't apologised, which is, you know, it's it's pretty traumatic for myself and my husband, really, mm. and probably will be for Alex, you know, when he gets older and he kind of maybe understands it a little bit more, you know. Life for him was changed at that moment but I guess life was changed for you all wasn't it it was yeah uh, so like as as I said before um, Alex is half a twin so um, I had to leave the hospital after they were born and leave the two of them there um, they kind of held on to Jacob I think really just to keep Alex company you know and not to separate them for too long um, but then came the time where they couldn't hold on to Jacob anymore because Jacob didn't have any issues um, so he was left um, Jacob was left home we bought him home we, it was torture having to leave Alex behind in, in the COH and um, I suppose basically like for that month while Alex was in hospital, the other children, they didn't have a mother. It was it was my mother-in-law at the time who was looking after them. Thanks to God. And, um, you know, after that, when Alex came home, I mean, Alex needed 24 hour care. You know, he had trouble feeding. He couldn't sit up. He didn't reach any of his milestones, which meant that there was an awful lot more care went into mm. him. He was a very sick um, little boy. He was, he was, he he was the sickest little boy in the the NICU in that year when he was born in in October two thousand and ten. It was horrific the way, uh, the way that myself and my husband got to see Alex for the first time. You know, connected to tubes everywhere. He was black and blue. He had to be basically put into an induced coma 
to stop the seizures that he was getting and it was oh it was it was just a horrific experience mm. like that, you that know, picture you, that picture never never leaves the parents mind does it no no never will no 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 how is jacob then how is he with his little brother his twin brother He's great. Um, so Jacob is the younger twin by a minute. By a minute. A minute, yeah. He's uh, he's very proud of that minute between the two of them. Um, so yeah, so Jacob goes to mainstream school and Alex goes to special needs school. So there's kind of there's a lot of differences there with them. They they probably definitely wouldn't be as close as what your your normal set of twins would be, mm. but he looks out for him at the end of the day, you know, they all do. I, I have three others besides the twins and they've all just been amazing since the day he was born, you know. Lorraine, what does the family do from from now? The, the court is done, settlement is made, everybody moves on. What What's the future like? Optimistic? Yes, I, th- I, I think very much so, yeah. Um, Alex is an extremely bright um Oh, he's he's a lovable. He's so empathetic. He's just he puts he puts a lot of people to shame. You know, he's he's so positive the outlook that he has on life. You know, and nearly once a week you'll hear him saying, you know, I'm going to go. His sister is doing engineering in UCC, so you'll hear him talking a lot, saying, I'm going to go to UCC too, and I wonder what course I'll do in UCC or. You might hear him mention about when he's older if he has kids. You know, he's. He kind of, I suppose a lot of the time he probably pushes his disability aside, you know, because he's he's treated pretty much the same as what the others are, unless mm. we kind of think a situation might be too dangerous for him, you know. So his future is definitely going to be bright, you know. It'll be a lot easier for all of, for all of us because of the fact that we now don't have to deal with, you know, getting all of these reports done and travelling up for courts and things like that. So he's... That that was the one thing he said when when I asked him when when he was asked about um, what does it mean to him and he said he was happy my mum and dad won't be going away anymore. Well, that kind of puts a tin hat on it, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I wish you well for the future. I know that you're grateful to a lot of people who've helped over the years, and you wanted to say that. Oh God, yes. Um, so, like before. Um, before, as I said, we went to to the high court. Like people were just amazing to Alex, and he he knows all about each and every one of them, and they all still follow his Facebook page. We had um, a fundraiser for his first wheelchair, where a local guy here, Marco Sullivan, did an eighties night outstanding, raised all the money for the chair. And um, then with Alex's second chair, which the HSE would again not provide, um, he was actually donated his chair, the full cost of the chair, whatever he needed by a very, very extremely generous person who we still don't know donated that. Oh, I remember hearing about that, Lorraine, and you still don't know. No, we you still never don't found know. out. No, this this person, I, I can only say person because I, I don't know he or she or um, wow. they just contacted the wheelchair company directly and basically said, give him what he needs. He Alex was returning for surgery um, around the time. So I was very, very anxious that he wouldn't have a wheelchair for going to America. And the wheelchair arrived two days before he left for his second surgery. And it was just, you know, it, it really restores your faith and humanity. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You know? And you have no idea to this day. No, no, no. All I can do is just, if, if, if that person is listening, you know, how much it meant to not only Alex, but to us, his parents, the whole, you know, the whole family, you know. Lorraine, I wish you and the rest of your family every success for the future and thanks for being with me today thank you very much thank you BJ wouldn't you just love to know who that person was and what motivated them to do it whoever you are thank you again from the Foley family that's Lorraine 1850 speaking of what motivates people to do what they do a uh, little plug for my podcast uh, 20 Minutes With, which is a new episode available every Saturday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I've been talking to Joe from Joe's Hair Salon and Joe has revealed to me why he does what he does and all of the charity work that he does and what motivates him to do that. Finally, he told me, after me asking him for ages and he just telling me, ah, it's because I can. He told me the story. It's on the podcast this weekend. I'll let you know about it as we get closer. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Getting a few responses to Tim Brosnan's suggestion that the new holiday, the new public holiday, Stroke Bank holiday, would be in September. I'll read some of the responses to you in a while. On the numbers that we did, the numbers which tell us, and it's publicly available on a HSE website, the total number of open and staffed ICU beds this time, this October, is only 10 more than the total number of open and staffed ICU beds in October 2020. They've added 10 in a year, fully open and staffed beds. Don't mind what they spin in the budget, don't mind what they told you, don't mind this, don't mind that. 10, according to official figures out this morning, when we have more people in hospital with COVID than we had this time last year and more people in ICU than we had this time last year. 
Now, 70% of those in ICU we know are unvaccinated, but very little else do we know. And that's why they're worried. They're worried because the beds are getting really busy. And as Kevin says, we're going to have a flu season this year. We didn't have one last year because all of the restrictions under which we were leaving, or living rather, they quelled the flu last year. But we're going to have flu this year. And, and there's a nasty, nasty chest infection going around at the moment. We haven't even gotten into flu season. Bernie says, message to the unvaccinated. 70% of those in ICU are unvaccinated, so stop holding the rest of us up. Nikki says, hi, PJ, can we get the focus on last year versus this year? How many deaths occurred? Instead of people in ICU and hospital, it's winter, it's flu season. There'll always be people with compromised immunity. I haven't got the debt comparison, Nikki. I didn't do that one. I do take your point. But the thing is, they've only added 10 extra beds and we still have a pandemic going on. There's a big hole, a big hole in the system that could have been plugged and should have been plugged and wasn't plugged. Simple as that. 1850-715-996. It's, it's only 72 sleeps to Christmas. I know, I know, I know. 72 sleeps to Christmas. I see a picture actually down at Brown Thomas. Have they got their Christmas shop open and the decorations up? And I think that's lovely to see. And I think it's lovely to see the groceries, the Christmas groceries. I think it's lovely to see the boxes of sweets and all the packets of Stalin. God, Stalin. And Christmas. I love it. So don't be telling me it's too early. No, it's not. It's never too early. But how would you handle money in the run-up to Christmas? Are you one of these people that struggles with money? If it's in your pocket, will it be spent before, before tea time? Or can you manage, can you budget your money? Santis O'Gara had problems with money uh, back in 2018-2019 and Santis you cleared them and and now you teach people how to clear their problems with money good morning he has said is that the disease is much likely to get out of control at the same rate it did in the past indications are going in the wrong direction but he doesn't think it's time to worry about it being out of control that at least is good news he also said this is a time for concern but not the time for any kind of emergency action. So that's a bit of reassurance on where the numbers are going and what might be happening from Philip Nolan of Neffet. Right, I was talking to Santis about how you might bring your budget and your money under control, um, particularly with 72 days to Christmas. Santis, you had built up some debts. doesn't actually matter how, but you had. And and you, you needed to get them under control. Yeah, um, I built up quite a lot of debt um, and it, it should actually matter how maybe. Um, I was just frivolous. Um, I earned the money and I had this attitude where, you know, money, money was burning a hole in my pocket. I had no respect for it, you know. Right. And I was in the payday to payday cycle where I know a lot of people would actually know about this, where you get paid. And you spend the money and, you know, the middle of the next week or the middle of the month, you're literally going, where where did that money go? Yes. And you just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, there was no plan. Mm. And, and I you were well paid, it. so it wasn't down to that. Huh? You were in a well paid job, so it wasn't down to that. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I was working in the bookies and, you know, I was I was a manager. I was getting the money in and I just thought, I just viewed it as, you know, I was getting good money and I work hard and that'll always be, that'll, that'll be okay for me. Yeah. You know, no matter what I did, 
I'll always come true because I'm a hard worker and that's that's the end of it. That's that's as far as I knew how to deal with money. So what but, what was the was there something then that gave you a message, Craigie, you need to you need to bring this under control. Well, did, did something happen? Children being a single mom, to cut um, a long story short, and I looked I looked around. I wasn't earning as much as I, I did. My savings, I had a little bit of savings for when I had the kids, but I had them back to back. So the savings for the first child kind of wiped everything out. And I was a single parent. I was on, I had no clue of anything. And I was, my job only paid half maternity leave. So I was on the state's payment. I was paying for a mortgage then. And I had just so many loan payments and I just, felt overwhelmed and mm. um, I you know the money was coming in and all I was thinking about was if I paid that one then I won't have to pay this one and if I paid this one I won't have to pay this one and maybe I could put this off for a few weeks and it was just a cycle of madness. You decided that you had to take action. I had to take action. Um, I just knew that going down this trail of thoughts the way I was going all the time this spiral um, it just wasn't healthy, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it it wasn't healthy at all, and you know that's what one thing I speak about is when you know you're financially unwell. It's that money takes up, you know, seventy percent of your ninety percent of your thinking. You can't focus straight. Everything, every decision is made around that, mm. and it really was the case for me. And I knew I just. It wasn't fair on my kids and I knew I just had to try and get out of it the best way I could. It's a tough place to be. Yeah, uh, even talking to you now and going back there, it really is, um, it was probably the lowest point in my life, if I'm being honest. Um, Just knowing that you have two kids to feed and you got yourself into such a situation that you can't, and I'm I'm not going to put, I'm not going to say, oh, do you know, it was by accident or something happened. It was a habit that I just didn't know anything about money. And I just thought I'll always be okay. Mm. And it was, it was a lesson. It was a lesson that I've learned. And now I just try and share so other people can literally not fall into the footsteps, not fall into my footsteps, you know? So what kind of things did you do or did you start to do? Um, I started to budget. I started to budget. But before that, I literally was looking. I was like, how do you pay off debt? What do you need to do? You know, I was on YouTube. I was on Google. I was looking everywhere. Or the Mm. Google, as my mom says. Um, I was looking everywhere to see how to pay off these debts. And um, I, I just discovered a budget because we learned about it in school, but it didn't. It was a household budget, and sure, I was 15 when I learned about that in school. I, w- I wasn't managing a house, you know. Mm-hmm. So by the time, I just always thought a budget was for boring people, and <laughs> you know, I just thought, oh, you'd be tight like if you're on a budget. Yeah, and you had like you had good money and a decent job, yeah, and everything was yeah. fine until it wasn't, and then you realised, yeah. oh, Cranky, I should have been holding on to some of that. Yeah, I should have known. Yeah, and I, I should have, what can I do now to catch up? So I literally started looking at my money. And by that time, I was getting back. By the time I started budgeting, I was going back to work then. Right. And I was looking at everything. I was paying out two child minors just to go to work. You know, it was the case. I know a lot of people are in that. 
situation right now. But I started looking at my money and where it was going. And that's exactly what a budget is. It's just a tool and it tells your money where to go and it shows you where your money is going. So I started looking and I was like, okay, I things are a bit hard. Things are really hard here, but can I cut back on my food shop? I'm spending a lot on my food shop and I think I could make cuts. I need to start cooking from scratch at home more. Um, I didn't get takeaways or anything, so it's not like I was frivolous with the food, but my food shop went down from 120 to 70 straight away. As soon as I looked, that was 50 euro that I can pay Crikey. towards debt. Yes, yeah, straight away um, by just minding. Then I started saying, okay, I'm not going to waste any food. I'm not throwing anything in the bin. Um, and it was the case of if you did a roast chicken on a Sunday, that was a chicken curry or that was fajitas. That was three days. I was getting soup out of it for the kids. And to be honest, my son actually loves... Um, chicken soup now little does he know where that came from <laughs> that's his favorite meal um but that chicken isn't going in the bin you know that's five euro that's lasting me three days three meals yeah yeah you know they're simple uh, things really simple things and i started looking at my triggers as well what was true i'm a natural spender and I'm not just for me, if I got a bonus in work, the first thing I would do is hear to my mum and dad, oh, go and buy yourself a drink on me. You know, I'd be so proud of myself. Mm. And I kind of would like everybody to share in it. And I thought that was the way, but I should have been paying my debt. I should, you know, like those other things that money could have been going to mm-hmm. instead of being seen as being successful out, outwardly when really behind closed doors. And that was all that caught up with me. So any little money that was coming in then, I was just looking at ways of paying off my debts. And I literally just focused on the lowest debt that I had. You know, a lot of people would say, go interest first, but I needed motivation to keep going. So I started the lowest debt. And once I realized, oh my God, because I saved on my food shop, because I told my friend to meet me at home instead of going for a coffee, you know, all those little steps, I'm able to put that extra bit of money towards my debt. And I'm after clearing off, okay, it was 500 euro, but I cleared that off. Maybe it can go for the next one. And it became like a snowball. You know, the extra money that I made was just going off the debt. And I started sharing it on Instagram and people were just, they just loved it. They were like, they were rallying behind me, the whole of Ireland. And, and I'm guessing, Santis, that when that first one was gone, yeah. there was a fantastic sense of, wow, let's the go again. instant gratification that I got, I usually got from spending, I was getting that from paying off my debt. I was literally so proud of myself, getting a bit of confidence back in myself. And even as for being a mother, you know, I was like, I, I, I can't do this. You know, I, I, I'm actually doing this now. I'm prioritizing myself. I'm prioritizing my children's future. And I'm, I'm starting to grow up. And you know what? I don't feel one bit boring. <laughs> like, you know? I, I know. I, I'm just listening to you talk. I think boring is the last thing you would ever be. <laughs> you sound like someone with a great sense of fun. Yeah, I, I try to apply fun in everything I do. Um, that's what I think. Um People always say, you know, if you get a bit of money or if you do this with money, because we don't talk about money, as you know, it'll make you boring or you'll get you get full of yourself. I really don't. I think who you are as a person will be always who you are. Mm. But we 
we all need to have a plan for ourselves. And when we do get paid, we need to have actionable goals to put our money towards. Um, it's just such a game changer and a life changer for us all. Um, and I also think, you know, we go to work every day and a lot of us go to work and we're working so hard and we're selling our time for money. So when we don't manage it, it's almost like you're wasting your time. And I love that. Uh, we're selling our time for money. Yeah. If you don't manage your money, you're wasting your time. You really are. And that is our biggest commodity. That really made me think of, when I, when I thought about it, it made me think of everything differently. You know, that time is my biggest commodity on this mm. earth. Santos, how uh, much did you manage to clear? I cleared 15,027 in one year. That's incredible. Just by doing little things. Just by doing little things. Now, I was selling furniture and all out my house, you know. <laughs> um, like, I was on adverts and everything going, who wants this rocking chair? Sure, Louie, I'll just rock you myself, you know. Yeah. Who wants this? All the things that I splurged on, I just said, you know what? Yeah. I'm just going to remove remove all the madness. But you're in, you're, you're in, a, you're in a happy place at, at the moment. Come here, I have to ask you. Yeah. about your accent. Maybe the hint is in your Instagram name, the Caribbean dub. Yeah, I'm from the Caribbean. I'm from, you know what, Cork people now. I'm actually from a village in Montserrat, the Emerald Isle of the Caribbean, called Cork Hill Village. So, I, I am from Cork. <laughs> <laughs> I am on this Kinsale and everything there. I'm from Cork. Montserrat's an amazing know. place, actually, because it's all Irish names out there. I, like my name, O'Gara. Like, there you go now. You know, it's an Irish, it's an Irish name. Um, that's a whole, a whole other history, but it's, it's just brilliant. I love Cork, I do. I little really little do. Birdie tells me you'd like to live here. Yes, I'm thinking, no, I'm not thinking the plan is in place for me to move down to Cork next year. um, But I'm just trying to spot a place. It could be next year, the year after. It depends on the children and their school and everything. Well, you know what? I'd love to to catch up again just to talk about Montserrat and the Irish (laughs) connection and the Caribbean dub and all of that. But for people, for the tips that you, the things that you learned, you've put into Instagram on the Caribbean dub. Yeah, the All Caribbean right. dub, I'll be here. It's a bit of a mad show, but come on along and let's get out of that together. Santa's take care of yourself. Thank you. Yeah, good luck with it with the finances and everything else. That's that's that's. I'm glad we got that on a solid line in the end because uh, let's follow that. She sounds like a gas piece, a, a gas character. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Let us go back briefly to budget twenty twenty two, which we analysed in detail. Yesterday, maybe too much detail for some, maybe not enough enough detail for others. Uh, But the response has been what it's been. We went through the summary. It's a big cake, or a small cake, actually. Had to be cut into a lot of slices. Some people were happy with their slice. We heard the carer, the childcare providers. Some people just felt they got crumbs. And the political reaction were, were different. We were told that rent caps are coming then yesterday. We heard that a rent cap is coming in the next couple of weeks, which brought a reaction from uh, Deputy Mick Barry. Mick, good morning to you. Good morning to you, PJ. That, yeah. was, that was a great piece you just had on there a second ago. It's lovely, isn't <laughs> um, you, You've been calling for rent caps, rent freezes for a long time. They're, they're finally coming. Uh, 
Yeah, the the Taoiseach stood up uh, and announced yesterday that there's uh, a new red cap coming in. Uh, I would have made the point that the Minister for Housing is going to end up with more caps than Robbie Keane because it was 4%. uh, And then it was the rate of inflation. uh, And now he's talking in the papers this morning about 2%. And the basic point is a 2% rent cap is not going to cut it. (laughs) Uh, 300,000 people who are renting in this country cannot afford to pay a single penny more. And the minimum, and it is the minimum, that needs to be done now is that we do what they did in Berlin um, and we go for an across-the-board rent freeze. We do it on a national basis and we do it for a minimum of three years. And actually, there is an argument to say that that doesn't even go far enough because if people can't afford the price of rent as it stands, mm. uh, maybe what we need to be doing is debating rent cuts. There's also an economic argument that a lot of people will just pack it up and sell up, and you'll cut the you'll cut stock. Yeah, well, we need to to have more stock, uh, and there's a number of ways we do that. Um, I mean, there needs to be serious investment in um, social and affordable housing, public land should not be being privatised these days. This is an emergency. The public land should be used 100% Mm. for council housing and for affordable housing at genuinely affordable rates, which means cost price, the price of a house, and also dereliction. I mean, I, I, I went on a walk through the streets of Cork three, four weeks back, um, organised by uh, Frank and Jude up there. Yeah. Through I, talk, the I, was talking, I was talking to Frank about it. It's, it's, it's horrendous the amount of dereliction that's out there around Cork. And I don't know about you, I didn't see a whole pile in the budget that will deal with that. It's something we might come back to again. In fact, we will. I just want to ask you briefly, Mick, about Nadim. Uh, we've talked to Nadim a couple of times on the programme. He was very distressed the first time, a little less so. Uh, on Monday, but he's talking about starting a hunger strike today to see can he get his process speeded up. Are you going to meet him? You are? Yeah, I, I just uh, was texting him um, uh, before you put me on the air there. Um, he says he's going to be arriving uh, at the gates of Lanster House with some of his friends and colleagues, uh, including uh, Raminder, you might know Raminder, uh, and his family. Uh, at, at half past one today. So Nadim is, as you know, PJ, he's from Kashmir. He's Muslim. Uh, he's had family members um, attacked and, and killed by by Hindu mobs. Um, it's not safe for him to go back to uh, India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he should be given leave to remain in this country. There's no question. The minister is talking about uh, an amnesty uh, for some undocumented people in this country. But the word is that there's going to be a cutoff, and the cutoff will be that you have to have been in this country for five years. Um, and people like Nadim and Raminder will will fall on the wrong side of that. Mm. So hopefully, so you're going to join. You're going to join pressure. with him today. I am going to join with him today, uh, uh, and um, uh, hopefully, I see. I looked at the Echo website before I came on as well, and they have. Uh, Nadim's story and and his actions uh, on the front page of their website. Uh, it's good uh, that this case is getting uh, media attention uh, in uh, in uh, Cork. Maybe just before the eleven o'clock news. Um, I know you said we'd come back to the question of uh, uh, derelict sites, but just one 
thing to think 40 of. seconds make time uh, is and, against and, me and, and we can come back yeah we have a vacant sites levy it's 7% uh, the government have said they're going to replace it with the, the zone land tax they're going to bring that in in 2 or 3 years time at 3% every land speculator in the country would have been cheering that it's not true to say that the, the budget satisfied no one there's some very rich people out there who are delighted with what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have just done alright Mick leave it there thank you Mick Barry can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Happened to mention earlier on this morning, 72 sleeps to Christmas. And I see where the holly bow, I mean like the holly bow is nearly ready and will be on your shelves in early November. You know, Hollybell, Cork, it's it's as Cork as Tripendrachine, or it's as, as Cork as you know what, but it's coming out again, obviously, in November, and they've just tweeted that you can get a message into the Hollybell. Uh, John Dolan, the editor, has got this idea of putting a short message for loved ones into the Hollybell this year I've not seen them do this before but they've got a deadline of tomorrow 5 o'clock Friday October 15th at 5 o'clock and if you want to get a message a greeting into the Hollybow you can email them greetings at the echo.ie greetings at the echo.ie Hollybow coming out early in November always it's, it's like the official start of Christmas in Cork is when the Hollybow comes out not when the Christmas pudding goes into Aldi, which is sometime in late August. 1850-715-996. Just looking at the numbers earlier on and going over them as I was, all this stuff is, is publicly available. None of this is hidden. You can find them on websites. And I was saying that one of the reasons I think they're nervous at the moment is because of the pressure on hospitals and ICUs. <clears throat> and the figure that jumped out of the research I did last night and this morning is that since October of last year they've only added 10 fully staffed ICU beds in the public system. Last October, again, official figures, you can find them on the HSE website. In October 2020, 14th of October 2020, it was 279 fully staffed, fully available beds in the system. Yes, they have a surge capacity, but we're looking at the ones that are actually fully staffed and fully available. 279. Today, 289. They've put on 10 in the year. They can, and they can't deny it. It's, it's, it's there. That's all that's there. 10 more. Now, Andrew Flood has been keeping some very interesting stats throughout the pandemic on the way things are going and modeling based on the numbers that he can get. Uh, Philip Nolan this morning has been saying on national radio that, look, there's cause for concern, but not alarm. We're nowhere near as dangerous a situation as we were this time last year. And there's no reason for radical emergency provision or emergency measures right now. So no panic is effectively what Professor Philip Nolan of Neffet 
is saying. Andrew was on his Twitter doing the graphs. You've been doing them for ages now, and you're back doing them again. R- remind me again, Andrew, of your own background and 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 uh, you know how where mathematical mo- mathematical modelling comes into your skill set. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I think modelling might be a bit grandiose uh, in terms of what I'm doing. Uh, it's more that early on in the pandemic, I realised that, a, you know, when you're talking about exponential growth, and I think a lot of people uh, find that a hard uh, concept to grasp, uh, in a lot of ways, it's just like compound interest on a mortgage. Yeah. Um, and if the interest rate is high, then you get in trouble very fast, even if you haven't borrowed all that much. Yeah. Um, and I think that is probably, in a sense, what Nolan was uh, talking about, uh, this, uh, that bit you quoted him, because we've gone through periods where cases doubled every three to four days. Um, and that that happens last December and it happened in the initial period of the pandemic and rapidly led to disaster. Mm. Whereas at the moment, we're looking at about a 35 percent increase each week. Um, and that means even though we've high cases, there is a bit of time before yeah. we can see if we're really in a, in a, a bad crisis. Or this what what he's been really saying difficult. this morning is that mathematically it's nowhere near out of control, which is a, a better place than we were, a far better place than we were this time last year. Just your own background before we go into what you're making of the figures. Um, so my background, basically, I, mean, I, I, I would make no claim to be an expert. Uh, I have an undergraduate degree in biology that's over 30 years old, uh, but was enough for, to enable me to read a lot of the research papers that have come out. And I had a, an existing interest in understanding data, uh, specifically in, in the context of opinion polls right. and things like the election of Trump and Brexit, but also the repeal referendum here. So I kind of went into the pandemic uh, being very used to looking at numbers and trying to understand what numbers told us. Sure. And because, like a lot of people, my initial reaction is, what the hell's going on here? Uh, I just started doing that at first for myself, and then I started posting it on Facebook and Twitter, and it turned out a lot of people were interested in tracking that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I'm not a modeler. Uh, I'm more like uh, you're driving from Dublin to Cork, uh, we're doing 100 kilometers an hour, and I tell you it'll take two hours to mm. get there at this speed, but if we go to 120, we'll get there in an hour and 50 minutes. You're what we'd uh, call in politics an active number cruncher, a good tally man. Exactly. It's a, something along those lines. <laughs> okay. So what, I mean, Philip Nolan has said this morning, talking to Claire Bourne, look, there's concern here, and, we, we, you know, we're, we're, we have to watch it, but there's no, there's no cause for panic just yet. Would you agree with him? Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's a reasonable evaluation. Yeah, yeah. I, like there, there is, ta- it's not, like the obvious comparison is last December, I think, uh, when we very, very quickly went from 400 cases a day to within three weeks, we were, we were up at about 6,000. Um, you know, and that's not what we're currently looking at. It looks a bit more like the wave we saw last uh, August and September, where over two months, what started off as a small problem became a much bigger problem. Uh, now, the problem we have is that we're not st- like last August, there were five deaths, uh, you know, and you were looking at sort of 100 cases a day. Now we're looking at 1,500 to 2,000 cases a day. So we're, we're at a much higher level. So that means we have less time. It's not like we have months. Mm. But 
there's definitely a space of, you know, a couple of weeks before things start to become a problem. Yeah. Uh, you, were, you were talking about ICU there, and most, I mean, it, it's obvious there's already a problem in terms of the hospitals. I mean, there was a, a picket of hospital workers at Connolly uh, in Blanchardstown at the start of this week saying, look, we're already overloaded. But most estimates I've seen say that the point at which you seriously start cutting into healthcare uh, is around 100 ICU beds. So at our current rate, we might hit that in two to three weeks. Yeah. Uh, but we're not going to hit it, you know, by the weekend. And that was the problem we had last December is it, by the weekend is what you would have been looking at. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember, so I tweets, I remember in tweets in December and January where we were looking at 200 people in ICU. Yes. Yeah, well, it peaked, it peaked at over 200. But in fact, when we locked down, we were below the level we were currently at. Um, and the reason we locked down at that point wasn't just because there were, I think, about 50 in ICU at that point. But it's because that number was obviously doubling really quickly. Whereas now that's not the same situation we're in. The number is increasing. But it, in fact, ICU is, is interesting because it's increasing relatively slow in relation to uh, hospital cases. Um, which may be something, maybe due to vaccine. I don't know what exactly the reason for that is. Yeah, well, Kingston Mills from Trinity was on with me earlier on this morning and he said one statistic that we don't get, which would be very useful, would be that in terms of daily case numbers, like yesterday was 2,000, we don't know how many of those people were vaccinated and we also don't know what vaccine they'd already had. And he said for immunologists and epidemiologists, mm. it would be much easier to analyse the data if we knew that. Would you agree with him? Uh, yes, broadly speaking, I think so. And and in particular, because what we've seen over the last week is a shift in the proportion of cases from uh, younger age groups to older age groups. Now, the older age groups are mostly vaccinated. Indeed, in theory, everybody over 70 is vaccinated because, you know, there's 102% and 103% of the, of the populations they're vaccinated. So there's obviously a concern that what we're seeing is a greater number of uh, people who've been vac fully vaccinated but are still getting COVID. Mm. Um, and it would be it would be useful to know whether or not that is the case or if it is it the case that actually those cases are mostly in the vet now very small unvaccinated population. But uh, if you get an outbreak in a particular uh, community that, that that is unsure about vaccination for partic in particular, say particular marginalised groups where vaccination rates are quite low, then maybe that's where we're seeing a lot of these cases coming from. We, we simply don't have that information at all. Kevin is um, making a very valid point as well uh, on, on Twitter, Andrew, that comparing this year to last year should also only be done in the context of, because of all the restrictions last year, we practically didn't have a flu season. We're going to have one this year. Yes, yeah, I think that that is going to be a really big problem. And it, it's uh, also in terms of uh, pediatric child hospital, uh, there's a big problem that in that we're already at the start of what looks like a large RSV um, uh, uh, wave, which was sort of expected and hospitalizes lots of kids every year. Um, so that they, I mean, like we, we, we already know that the pressure flu puts on the, the health system around Christmas is such that lots of stuff that should happen, can't happen. Does it, you know, it has to be put off for a couple of months. And adding COVID in on top of that, even if it is quite low cases, uh, you know, even if it is 60 a day, up 60 in ICU at the moment, and that looks like it's only a fifth, uh, it can still have a very large impact because you're yeah. also having the flu impact in on top of that. And then you're also having all the all the delayed care from the entire pandemic. Yes. So, you know, as I said, that's, that's why I mentioned that picket at, at 
Connolly by healthcare workers at the start of the week. Uh, I think in terms of listening to what healthcare workers are saying, they're saying well, we're already in a crisis. Yeah. Uh, you know, and COVID is 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 not going to help that. Uh, so I think that possibly uh, Nolan is probably right in terms of the COVID level, but not necessarily on the overall healthcare level. Mm. I, I, and to be honest, I think that's a problem with the pandemic. It affects every aspect of society, and who can possibly be an expert on that? Yeah, great, great care reply, uh, required. People can follow you on Twitter, uh, Andrew, um, and take. I look at your graphs. Uh, it's at Andrew Flood uh, on Twitter. Um, very interesting analysis right throughout. And thanks for that. Um, he kind of agrees with Philip Nolan. That's just a, a layman with a, a background in green science and interest in data and opinion polls and number crunching. He agrees with Philip Nolan. The time for caution, not time for panic. Uh, I would also agree with that. Time for caution, not time for panic. But I, I certainly think that this, and I only wish that I had Michael McGrath on the phone now and not yesterday, uh, because between last October and this October, they put 10, 10 more beds into the ICU system. All the bluff and palaver about 19 here and 40 there and percentages, that's guff. Efficient figures. HSE website this morning. 10 new fully staffed beds. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Courts 96 FM. Few people commenting on the numbers and the where, where we're going and the worry being expressed by our leaders. Joe says no one will adhere to another lockdown. That's a fact. COVID is here to stay, whether Neffet like it or not. We have to live with it like live with any other virus. I think Philip Nolan, in fairness, is saying this morning, no emergency measures indicated yet, just caution. Uh, on another one, I didn't hear this, but I can't believe there's a man saying on the news that we're looking for a normal Christmas. This has such terrible echoes of last year as we yet again face into figures that should provide caution. I feel strongly about this. Comments like that should wait until we see what's going on. We'll monitor it on the programme as we have done since day one. Figures are worrying. Figures are concerning. But as we speak, there doesn't seem to be an emergency. We just hope it, it stays like that. 1850-715-996. Here's a question. What is home? What is home? What is home is not just a question. It's the subject of a new piece of street art as part of the Ardu Street Art Project uh, 2021. I've seen it. It's quite magnificent. It it's focuses on the homeless situation or the situation of what defines a home and where we are. It's a very... Very powerful commentary uh, on where we are right now in terms of our homeless crisis. 
The painter is a guy called Asbestos. The painting is at South Main Street and Asbestos joins me. It's a strange name and I know that that's what you want me to call you and I'm happy happy to do so. No problem at all. Given that, given that some houses would have been built using a lot of asbestos and we now know it wasn't the wisest thing to do, your choice of name is an interesting one. But I, I saw the piece. It's stark. Yes. Well done on it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What's it the inspiration? Pleasure to paint. Well, the inspiration for, I suppose, the Ardu, the festival, had invited a few artists down, Frizz, Connor Harrington, myself and Shane O'Malley, and um, it was a very kind of open opportunity to to paint something, and, and, and my work often rotates around um, personal issues or social issues or kind of things that are important in our lives, and um to me, it was it, it. It's kind of an open question around what is home, because for some people it's a wonderful place, for other people it's a scary place. Um, for people coming to live in the country from abroad, uh, they miss home, but they create a new home. Um, for the last week, Cork felt like home to me, and was welcomed in. So it's about that sense of belonging, that sense of what home actually means to us, but also how it's become quite distorted in the last few years, how it's so difficult to buy a house, to rent a house. There's homeless crisis and it's it's, it's not just one problem. It's a multitude of problems, mm. not just locally uh, within Cork uh, or even within Munster or in Ireland. It's Europe-wide, it's, it's, it's international. And I think it's just a, a really interesting question to, to ask people. Uh, and that's why I wanted to be quite open um, that it is, obviously it is about homelessness, but it's about um, what our home means to us and, and, and where mm. we feel safe and can we afford one. The, uh, the one word that jumped off it when I saw it and studied it for a minute or two is fear. Mm. There's a little bit, yeah. It's kind of for me the 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 addressing of the, the kind of the pose and the image. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's me in it, but I'm playing a character in, in some ways. Uh, but I'm I'm looking out, and it's 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 a sense of vulnerability and fear and not knowing. Um, I think fear is 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 kind of endemic at the moment within people and their housing situations because we want to feel safe at home we want to have a place that we know we can stay in and that we don't have to worry about uh, our rent or our mortgage and uh, will I be kicked out so yeah fear is definitely something and uh, it, it seems to me as if the the system is is, mm. is designed for for the, the 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 landlords as opposed to the renters or the the population. I think yeah. where another, another, another word would have been bewilderment as well, which which is <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, artists' work is inspired enough by their by their own background. What is yours? Mm. Um, well, my background is I'm a I've been an artist for years. Um, I'm I'm from Dublin, so it's a uh, it, it's odd for a dub to be coming down and uh, painting a big big mural in uh, in in Cork. But um, like everyone, um, I, I I rent a home, and uh, if if my landlord decides to change their opinion, I, I might have to find a new one and you've got to pay rent. And But in the continent, people pay pay rent their entire lives. So 
Um, yeah, for me, home has always been a safe place. It's always been a wonderful place for family and for celebration. Uh, but I know for other people, it's not always that case. And sometimes uh, they have to escape it. Like even during the, the lockdown, there was um, massive concern about domestic violence and people being stuck in their homes. Um, and like even now, my own day-to-day -day work means I'm, I'm working in the office sometimes, I'm working from home. So uh, it's, it's, it's quite a provocative subject at the moment and something that you're right bewilderment and fear are two of the two of the emotions that people are feeling and it's very well captured in in that mural thanks very much for being with us on the opinion line asbestos is the name by which we know him that's his uh his artist's name i i can't get over it. I, I remember when i saw the list asbestos <laughs> great name actually it's it's at south main street um, and what is home uh, of of all of them I'd seen the one in St Finbar's Road I nearly drove into it I thought quite very very stark the other one Shane O'Malley's one and Conor Harrington one I've seen them I've seen them all but uh, this one is very very stark um, captures the homeless crisis in a way that a simple piece of painting kind of doesn't have a right to do and yet it does 1850 of course, that is part of the Ardu Street Art Project. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. We've been doing uh, an amount of stuff in the last couple of days with regard to Breast Cancer Awareness Month and just briefly want to catch up with it again. Um, Juliet O'Connell is Outreach Coordinator for Breast Cancer Ireland. You guys have a roadshow. It'll be in Cork this weekend. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Uh, yes, we have a roadshow in Mahanpine Shopping Centre this Saturday, the 16th of October from 11 to 5pm. I'll be there myself uh, showing people how to properly self-examine and also going through the eight signs and symptoms of breast cancer and offering them our free to download app Breast Aware so they can become to make it a routine every single month to uh, check themselves visually and self-examining as well. There's also so a important. fairly powerful television ad about to be launched. Yes, there is. Very, very powerful. Giving people, I suppose, letting people realise that this is not just an older person's disease. It's younger and younger. This can happen too. And it's, uh, you know, it's so powerful, to be honest. It really is. Okay. It really called, is and the, the theme of it is the, the diagnosis. And also something else, uh, the Great Pink Run. It, it all coincides. Yes, it does. The Great Pink Run is taking place this Saturday, the 16th and 17th of October. And it's still not too late to register. Uh, you can go on to www.greatpinkrun.ie. Um, a fabulous event taking place across Ireland in everybody's community. Um, and countries as well trying to turn the globe pink. Yeah, a fantastic event. I'll be taking place myself, take part myself this weekend with my daughter and a few friends as well. Um, a fabulous event always. What are the timings? Cheers. What, what are the timings for the roadshow? It's Man Point when? 
Mahan Point this Saturday, the 16th of October from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, I'll be in the centre from, from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a fantastic event, to be honest, um, meeting people and, you know, giving them this all-important information. Um, everybody needs to recognise these very important signs and symptoms. As a breast cancer survivor myself, I'm very passionate about this presentation Um we offer this presentation um, complimentary as well, uh, either online or in. We presented in transition to transition year students in secondary schools, and it's offered to corporates and clubs around the country as well. There's four of us presenting, and I'm covering the Munster area with this education awareness talk. And it's so important that people need to recognise it. For myself, lack of education kept me at home for ten months. Um, and not knowing those very important signs and symptoms, to be honest. Great. Okay. Well, now you do, and you're helping everybody else to learn them, which is which is good work. That's that is uh, Juliet O'Connell. She's the outreach coordinator for Breast Cancer Ireland. The roadshow this weekend at Mahan Point, and that ad about to be launched on television, marking Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the Great Pink Run. It's it's kind of all happening. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every evening on the big drive home, getting you up to date on all things Cork, bashing out the biggest tunes and a bit of crack. The Cork Squid Game, Dave, what are you putting in? Kiss and torture. Either the kiss or the girl could torture you. How many times have you asked for a torture? A lot more than a kiss, I knew it, that's for sure. <laughs> Join me weekdays from four. The big drive home with Harvey Norman, celebrating 18 years in Ireland with their 18th birthday sale. Big birthday savings across their massive range of appliances, technology, furniture and bedding. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96FM. One of the festivals that went by the wayside, unfortunately, uh, in the course of COVID was uh, a particular favourite of mine, uh, the Mother Jones Festival, the spirit of Mother Jones Festival. The story of Mother Jones is one that I only discovered in the last few years. Mary Harris was her name. Uh, She was a Cork woman. She went to America. She became a trade union activist. She became an activist for the ending of child labour. She, at one point, was known as the most feared woman in America. And she was from Cork. And this festival is in her honour and in her memory every year. It's been going for for a while now. And uh, it's actually starting today. It's a web-based event uh, this year. Uh, John Barrymo. John, John, good morning to you. Well, I'd like to start by saying it's the 10th annual Spirit of Mother Jones Festival, and we did keep it going last year, but it was strictly as a virtual event, and it yeah. was difficult, but we wanted to just basically give something for the community. Um, but as far as the event this year, and, and I'd say it was originally inspired by reading about the um, the um, the, Ir- the Ireland's outpouring to this Hopi Navajo COVID fund that raised millions of um, dollars of people in the states in Arizona that were suffering from the effect of COVID, but being basically, you know, ignored by the government. Yeah. And um, so there was this, you know, and, and the Irish people really rose to the occasion in remembering what the Choctaw people did here during this, during famine times. Which is recalled in, in Middleton, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely monument there. But it's really keeping that memory alive. And um, 
So we actually have uh, two Choctaw students who are scholars at UCC who will be joining us tonight as well. But um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're keeping it going, and this is the launch event. The, the proper festival will be the 25th to the 28th of November at the Maldron and Shandon, and we're planning to have some face-to-face live component because you know it's the music it's the getting together it's you know it's just having a bit of crack with people and just Mm. having a you know it's a big part of the festival and talking about you know the you know what what happened so we're trying to do that you know i know we're watching it every day and just seeing the way the pandemic numbers are going and trying to remain flexible but that's that's our hope to at least have a mix of the two have some on um court community tv and then some live yeah yeah. Let me bring in John uh, Shannon Smith. Now, your your main speaker for this launch event uh, will be speaking on web connection from America. Her name is Mona Polaka, but Shannon Smith can tell us a bit more about her and about the, the nature of what of of her talk. Shannon, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for for having us on today. Delighted. Um, so, so t- tell me about Mona Palaka and and uh, her background and and what she'll be telling the festival. Sure. Yeah. My pleasure. Um, Mona uh, Mona Palaka is a, she's a senior fellow for the Center for Earth Ethics in in New York City, which is um, one of the places that we get to work together. Uh, even though she's based in Arizona, and um, and she leads up our original caretakers program. So so she is uh, sort of our guidepost mm-hmm. <laughs> around uh, Indigenous peoples' rights and preserving Indigenous peoples' traditions. And she herself comes from, uh, she's Hopi, Tewa, and Havasupai. Um, And Havasupai are the people of the blue-green water uh, who live down in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Um, She's been very connected to, yeah, yeah, very beautiful. Are they still there? They're still there. Because I I remember reading about them many, many years ago, people that lived at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, they're still there. They're still there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so incredible. Caught, taught, you know, she's been carrying those traditions in that way. You know, they would say in a good way um, for her whole life. Um, so she's really able to speak from a place of, of, of responsibility and stewardship and love for right. carrying those traditions forward. What kind of things can we learn, Shannon, from the Native American people? Well, I think, you know, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, you know, you hear you hear them say a lot, uh, all, all our relations, right? This is a way that they that they kind of address one another. But um, and also us when we, we, we begin to be in relationship with them, I say my my indigenous relatives, they're they're not just, you know, they're not just my friends, but they're my my relatives. And this is how they live uh, in relationship to nature to everything Mm. so for them uh you know mona mona being there uh with that water with that beautiful blue green water that's not um that's not a resource that's not a a place where they live that that's their family that's part of their family so when we we love our family we take care of it and um and so that's that's part of what we're here to talk about is this way of really loving and taking care of our, our home and our and our relatives and mm. expecting that everyone else will want to do the same. It's an interesting comparison that you make. Like when we look around us and we look around at the atmosphere and the environment around us, just like the people of the blue-green water, our trees and our sea and our rivers and our lakes, that's our home. That's right. So we should take care of that. That's the message. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And especially here in Ireland, it's such an incredible country. It's so rich uh, in terms of history and spirituality and traditions and and what a gorgeous and beautiful place. So I hope people will come and, and feel inspired to take care of it. And what's been the purpose of your visit, Shannon? Um, actually, it's it, in large part uh, because of my uh, Indigenous relatives. Uh, I have a heritage here. I'm actually, uh, my family goes back. We're, we're Flynn's from Cork. Um, Get so this away. Is, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm originally from here going back a ways. And um, I spent a lot of time um, with folks over on Turtle Island, uh, Indigenous folks there. And they actually said to me, oh, you're aren't you Irish? You know, you're Shannon. Yeah. And I yeah. Well, what do you know about your people? And they have a tremendous amount of respect for the Irish. There's such love uh, that goes back and forth between the nations. And I didn't know that. And they um, encouraged me to come home and um, be on the land of my ancestors. So well, I'm very well, well, sure. Welcome home. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> or, or as we say in in, in, in Irish, fault you all you. Thank you. And Thank I know you. that, to, you know, to Native American people, their own languages are yes. so important to them. So so in our own language, fault you all you. Oh, now you got me. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> oh, God. you're not. You only just literally only just landed a while ago. Is that right? I've been going back and forth for a couple of years now, and trying to deepen, deepen yeah. ties. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, it's it's great to make that that connection with you. Where can people watch the event? Oh, if you want, I can chime in here. It's yes, um, one of the easiest ways, maybe, to find it is um, UCC has a community week um, website and it's listed there. So if you were just to type in into Google UCC community week or the, the and I can send you the link, but it's www.ucc.ie slash community week, all is one word. So that'll take you to the, the events that are going all week. So this isn't the only week, but we're just, you know, sort of brought mother Jones into this. Right. And, um, but there, there'll be a site for, you know, what's happening today and there'll be a link to register for this event. And it's on Zoom, and the registration is just you just type in your your uh, your name and your email address, and you get a quick uh, link right right back right Great. to you, and then you just click there, and then you can watch it. It'll be five, um, from five to six uh, p.m. this evening. Great. All right. Listen, it's and, been a fascinating conversation with with Shannon and indeed with yourself, John. But Shannon Smith speaking on behalf of Mola Mola Palaka, who will be the speaker at that launch of the uh, Mola Jones the 10th annual Spirit of Mother Jones Festival. Be, the festival itself is in November, but the launch is this evening. Shannon Smith, Shannon e- O'Flynn originally, back along, or Shannon Flynn originally um, in history. Uh, fault you all, Shannon, and good to have you with us. That, that was a whole angle on that conversation that we never expected. Uh, you, you can we'll, we'll post a link on our socials as to how you can join that event this evening. Thanks to you both. Just on the the um, bank holiday, Tim Brosnan was suggesting, well, September, a kind of a harvest bank holiday, a harvest public holiday. Jimmy in Cove says, uh, the 21st of November 1920, Bloody Sunday in Croke Park, that should be our new holiday, 21st November, thinking of everyone since who have died for our country, be it martyred or be it COVID or, or be it whenever. Others are saying February uh, in respect of women, uh, Represented by, by Bridget. A reminder 
that there is a walk-in COVID vaccination clinic in City Hall on Sunday from 1.15 to 4. No appointment necessary. The COVID-19 vaccination will be both first and second doses available for anyone aged 12 or over. Those aged 12 to 15 will need to be accompanied by a parent or guardian so that consent can be organised. And here's one last question to put to you, which I'll put to you and you can come back to me on it if you wish. And I'm not going to comment on it. I'm not vaccinated. Went to get my car serviced with a garage. I've been going there for 15 years. I was refused because I'm unvaccinated. He was told it was the law and the people like him were a disgrace. The man felt like a leper and discriminated against. The the country, he says, was up in arms when a business refused to make a wedding cake for a gay couple. Any sympathy out there for this man, I let it with you, as they say. Lastly today, Gerald Dwyer is chairman of the Cork Prison Officers Male Voice Choir, uh, a, a group of men I have had the great pleasure of working with on one or two occasions. Ger, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You've re- re- released a single online, a version of After All by the Franks. We have indeed, yeah. We have. We, we got such. A, we had one done previously a couple of months ago, and uh, we got such a positive reaction to it. We said we'd do it again, and we made a slight difference this time. We said we'd try and um, raise some money for a charity of our choice. So we dedicated it to the uh, cancer patients and their families and the healthcare teams who look after them in the Mercy Hospital. So we have a face our own Facebook page. And on the Mercy Hospital Facebook page as well, there's a, a link if people want to go into it and they can donate. All donations are gratefully accepted. Mm. Um, cancer is an awful illness that has a, an effect on... Um, there's probably somebody getting a cancer diagnosis as we speak. Yeah. And it has an effect on a patient and, all, and on their family. So uh, family. We just, you know, they've kind of been forgotten about in the last couple of years due to the pandemic. Mm. So we're just, to raise, we're just trying to raise a few, a few euro if we can. So as I say, anybody who likes to donate, just go on to our choir page or the Mercy Hospital. Were you able to come page. together to record it, Jared? Did you have to do it virtually? No, it's virtually. We haven't come together since uh, March 2020. No, we were hoping that we might get back together after October 22nd, but the last day or two, I'd say, has probably thrown, uh, thrown that into question. The soundings coming from government aren't great. We just have to wait and see. But no, it's a virtual again. We um, we all rehearsed on our own, which is difficult enough. And we hadn't done this song before. It's our first time ever doing it. So we've never actually done it as a group mm. together. So um, it worked out well again. I'd like to just thank Brian White from Copper Alley Studios and you all who um, put the whole thing together for us. You, know? yeah, so you all sent you sent him all your individual bits, did you? And he just did the, the magic exactly. on the mixing desk. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. He, he worked his magic, and uh, I think it came out fine, you know. So oh, I there's been uh, some incredible work done, and, and I, I've heard that chap's name mentioned before. He's particularly good at this, Brian, at getting the, getting all the various virtual tracks together. So it's out there now, and a donation to the Mercy Hospital is it's what you're asking people. Absolutely, yeah, to the Mercy Cancer Appeal. Uh, there's a link on our Facebook page and also on um, the Mercy Hospital Facebook page. And if you just click into that link, you, it goes in straight into a I Donate page and you can donate in uh, whatever figure you want, you know. All right. Ger, you must miss being together and performing together because I've worked with your group on more than one occasion. Always great fun, great fun people to work with. And I know you really love coming together to sing. It's getting hard now not to be able to, isn't it? It is, yeah. Sure. So, you know, it'll be, we're only a few months short of being two years, you know. So it, it does get hard, absolutely, yeah. Cause we, like, we, we love coming together and singing, and we've great old crack and banter to when we're together, you know. And, like, you know, we do a lot of fundraisers and a lot of singing around the, 
the city and that. So yeah, you'd miss all that, you know, but sure. I suppose this is an expert thing, so if we can make Good. make a few pounds for somebody as well, yeah, that's a bonus, you know. All right, and the Facebook page is, is what? What's the name of it? Uh, the Cork Prison Officers Male Voice Choir, and then you have the Mercy Hospital Foundation Facebook okay. page also. All the information is there, and you can get access to the song. Good luck, and hopefully we'll work together again very, very soon. Great, great bunch of guys, the, the, city, the Cork Prison Officers Male Voice Choir. They've got a single out, virtual. Go to their Facebook page, go to the Mercy Facebook page, give a donation if you can to the cancer uh, one or two things to finish up before we get out of here yeah on COVID certs a WhatsApp message we got this morning the Italian government has signed a new decree from tomorrow all workers wishing to access their workplace will be obliged to display the COVID digital cert like people think they have it tough here having to display a cert in Italy from tomorrow, just to go to work, you need to show your COVID cert. That's it. We'll see you tomorrow, Friday, just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.